Good morning. Glad to be here with you guys. I'm excited to start this series, Blueprint. In fact, uh, I hope you guys had a great week celebrating 4th of July uh, with your family and friends, and I had a great week. Um, many of you guys might know this already, but my wife and I were expecting our first uh, child this September, and we can't wait for that. Um, so actually on Friday this week, uh, we were, went and did a 3D ultrasound, and those things are they're kind of weird, but they're really cool because you just kind of get to have a glimpse of maybe what they kind of will look like, and, and so we're so excited for our, our baby girl coming in September. Her name's going to be Jada, um, and I can't wait. Um, and in fact, my family, my, on my side of the family, this September with my sister, she was actually just playing the piano. Um, she's pregnant too, and I think her, or she's due four weeks later than, than Jada. And so, uh, but this September, this, it's going to be um, seven grandbabies on my side of the family, and that, that's just crazy to me. And so we t- keep talking about how fun it's going to be when they're all grown up, or kind of growing up, and they're all just playing together and just having fun. It's just going to be so fun and exciting. Um, and on the other side of my family, Rachel's side, um, uh, this is actually their first. And so it's like total extremes here. Um, and actually, we found out just right after Christmas this year that Rachel was pregnant. And, um, and when we found out, we, we kind of did an extended Christmas gift for my side of the family, and that was fun. And then uh, for Rachel's, we actually, at the same point time, we uh, started looking for a house. And so um, we, we decided, to, we came up with this plan, because of Rachel's dad being in construction um, and him looking at blueprints quite often, uh, we decided we would print off this blueprint of a house that we've never seen, because we joked around about uh, being, doing a fixer-upper thing, because that's the thing to do, I think, nowadays. Um, and so we, we, we talked about that, and then that was before we figured out that Rachel was pregnant and no longer had the time to do that. Um, but uh, so we, we printed out this blueprint, and we made all these changes to it. We even came up with an address of some place. I have no clue where. We just made it up. Um, but in, just in case they were questioning us of where this house was, and then in the one room we wrote nursery. Uh, and, and so then we put it on their kitchen table and they're looking at it, kind of studying it. But obviously Rachel's dad, Bill, he, he, uh, he noticed the nursery pretty much right, right away. Um, and he looks at Rachel and is like, hey, is there some news that you guys need to tell us? And, and then we had a little box and we handed that to them and kind of unveiled the secret that we were waiting to tell them. See, the reason I bring up that story is because blueprint, there, uh, any blueprint just like that, it has a purpose. Now, we used it to reveal to the family that we were expecting, we were adding a family member to the mix. But any blueprint, it's, it's, it has a plan, it's a design plan. And I, I believe God has a design plan for our church. He has a plan for us to move forward. He has a plan for us, and I think you can see that a great blueprint of that in 1 Timothy and just a little background knowledge is that Paul is the writer of, of this letter to Timothy, obviously, because it's called First Timothy. Um, and, and so Paul actually writes Timothy, who's a young leader of the church of Ephesus, and he writes him twice, First and Second Timothy. And he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy, to encourage him to deal with some of the issues that are, have risen up in this church of Ephesus. And Paul's challenging Timothy to deal with them, challenging him to take these, these, these things on. 
In fact, you got to know that Paul and Timothy had this very kind of interesting relationship because Paul was someone, if you remember, that brought the gospel to Ephesus, the city that Timothy's at. He starts the church in Ephesus. So obviously, Timothy, he looks up to Paul as a mentor, as a, as a leader, as, some, as someone who furthered the gospel. He looks, he's looking up to Tim, uh, Paul. But Paul also has this very interesting relationship with Timothy because he looked at verse 2, chapter 1. If Paul calls Timothy his true child in faith, and so there's this relationship where they care about one another. And that's why Paul's ultimately, he's writing Timothy because he cares about him. He wants to encourage him, to challenge him, to deal with these issues. Because Paul obviously cares about the church of Ephesus. He wrote the letter to Ephesians, the church in Ephesians. So Paul obviously cares about this church because he started it. But he cares about Timothy because he, he's calling him his true child in faith. So Paul, later on, he obviously realizing that Timothy would be nervous as a young leader in this church. Paul later tells him in 1 Timothy 4, he tells him, Hey, Timothy, don't let anyone look down upon you just because you're young, but prove yourself as an example for all those that believe. Show yourself to, uh, what a true Christian should look like and how we should live our life. And then in 2 Timothy, in the second letter, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, tells, reminds Timothy that God has not given a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. See, I think, I think that the church in Ephesus, it was so rich and spiritually and historically. Paul was the one that started it. It, has, it, had, it was doing so much there in that city but they gave away to these issues that were driving, coming from their culture that was around them. And Paul, in that short introduction where he, he's trying to encourage him to deal with these issues, he wants to remind Timothy, above all else, as we continue to dive in this letter of all the issues that are going on in, in the church, I want, I, we want to remind Timothy that he tells him in verse 1 that Jesus is our hope. Reminds him in church of grace, let's remember always that Jesus is our hope. He's that, he should be everything to us. We start there and then we go forward. And that's where Paul starts. And after that quick introduction, he goes and switches in verse 3 to just business. Verse 3 says, I, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange things, strange doctrines. See, Paul's telling him, remain at Ephesus. You probably think about it. He's, he's got, Timothy's got all this weight to him. He, he, Paul starts this church. Paul leaves to go further on the gospel. He leaves this church in Timothy's hands. And now Timothy has all these issues that are going on in the church. It, it, it's probably, if you, it probably has come in Timothy's mind to just bail out. Maybe somebody else can do this better than he is. Maybe there's someone better fit. But Paul tells him to remain there. Stay there. Take these few men and instruct them to teach sound teaching. Keep to God's word, not strain from it like they are. So what were they teaching? In verse 4 it says, In order to pay attention to myths, 
or endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the ministration of God, which is by faith. Myths, culture, it was both these myths and uh, the, the genealogies were both cultural things. Myths, because if you remember, the, church, the city of Ephesus was plagued with... Um, they're played with fake gods and false gods. And, and so they gave rise to this mythological and myths, these stories. And they're just stories just being manifested by men, just, just fancy stories that they're telling. And, and then all, because the culture around was doing that was all fixed on mythological stuff. They, bring that, they started bringing that into the church which was messing up their, their sound teaching and, and turning it into false teaching. And these genealogies, which is a cultural thing too, is these genealogies were all about having a standing in their community. It was, it was about who was in their family tree. They started fixing their minds on these things and, and, and it, it gave away to them no longer furthering the administration of God. They were no longer concentrated on the gospel or what they once were so concentrated on as this church in Ephesus. They no longer were. They started losing their concentration. And isn't that what Satan loves for a church that is doing something amazing and is furthering the gospel for us just to get distracted and no longer are doing that? Satan loves when we exchange what is good and what is true for something that isn't. Romans 1.25 says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Was blessed forever, amen. And, and isn't that what the church in Ephesus was doing? They were giving into their culture around them. It was dictating what they would teach and what they would do and how they would live. And we got to remind, be reminded: no matter how amazing we or our church can be or could be, we got to remember Ephesus is a reminder to Grace Community Church: no matter what, we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to allow the culture to creep in and change all of a sudden what we teach, say, and do. We have to remain faithful to God's word no matter what. And that's God's plan for the church blueprint. This series, God's plan for the church is that we would stay faithful to his word. No matter where the direction our culture may be going or what direction they, 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 it looks like they might be heading. We as the church, we are supposed to be the, 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 the thing in our culture that is consistent no matter what because we are founded on one truth. It's in God's word. And when we stay faithful to God's word, what happens is what we see in verse 1 or 5. But the goal of our instruction, the goal of teaching, the goal of staying faithful to his word is love, it says, from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. This, this pure heart, it comes from good teaching. It comes from sound teaching. It doesn't come from a false teaching. Pure heart only comes from good teaching, true teaching coming driven from God's word. A good conscience only comes, it only comes from good teaching, sound teaching, a sincere faith, one that is committed to him and staying true to his word. It only comes from good teaching. It doesn't come from false teaching. Paul, in this verse 5, he's throwing the opposite of what their church was in Ephesus. He's showing them what they should be, not what they were. He's saying the goal of our instruction, the goal of our Christianity, the goal of remaining faithful to his word is love. We should love our world unlike anything they have ever seen. 
And it's driven from our pure heart, our good conscience, and our sincere faith. But this love, this, this love Paul's talking about is an, the, the agape love. It's the self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial love. It's this love that you see in 1 John 3.16 where it says, We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, genuine faith in Jesus produces this self-denial, self-sacrifice love. And that's all, honestly, you look at our world and they're, they're searching high and low and they're looking for love. They're looking for love wherever they can find it. They, they turn to social media for self-approval. But they're, they're ultimately, they're looking for love, for someone to care about them as, as working with students every single week. The thing that they want more than anything is love. They're looking for love, and that's what the church should be filled with. We're, we should have this love that isn't like the world's. It's different because it's, it's found by this love that you saw in 1 John 3.16 that is, that is found by Jesus, his example of him laying down his life, and it changes how we love all of a sudden. And that love, it, it comes from this, ultimately, it comes from a pure heart, one that is, is, is planned for us to have the right desire in our life. Our desires are different than the world's, it, which is driven from our pure heart. And we've we got to understand that our, our heart, it's, it's filled with emotions and intentions. It, it has, it, it, and these emotions and intentions, they either can drive us to worship Jesus with our life, or they can either drive us to resist and reject him. And, and, and so the, we have to be careful because we honestly need to understand that our natural heart is, is deceitful. Is deceitful. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? We need to understand that our heart is naturally, it's jacked up. Our na heart naturally, we naturally just want to resist and reject God. We don't, we don't naturally want to pursue him, but what should we do about that? We should, in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, Now flee from the youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. See, God's plan for the church is that our hearts have been cleansed by the gospel. The gospel that Jesus came and died for you and for me. That even though our hearts naturally wants to do what is wicked, what is wrong, naturally wants to resist and reject God, that he still loved you and me. He would sacrifice himself for you and for me. And that we came to him re repenting, coming to him, asking him to come into our life. And then he gives us a, this new life with a heart that is pure. One that, a heart that wants to no longer wants to resist him, but one that wants to pursue righteousness. And from that righteousness, it comes, from that righteousness, it comes love. And from that love, that love that comes from righteousness is an outpouring of an authentic expression of a true Christian. It's what happens when we, our life is impacted and changed by Jesus. Our life should just then, at that point, outpour with love because of our heart being changed to wanting to, having these right desires. But it's one thing to have these desires that are right, but it's another to then go and do what is right, right? 
And that's why where the good conscience part comes in. We needed this good, clear conscience to be able to do what is right. We need, to, we need to stay focused because it's so easy to, to get sidetracked or it's so easy to get fooled or it's so easy to fall into the, our, 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 the, the ways we were before we were a Christian. So easy to kind of just get sidetracked. When Jesus told us in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Or in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, we're reminded that Satan come, disguises himself as an angel of light. We have to have a good, clear conscience because it's so easy for us at that point in time to trade the truth for a lie just like Adam and Eve did. They traded the truth, what was good, what they, everything was good, and they traded it for a lie. And it's, for us, it's so easy to buy into what our culture is selling. It sounds kind of pretty from the outside. It sounds kind of nice. We're even founded on Christian principles in our country. But you look at our nation today, and it almost seems like we don't want anything to do with God. Like our, our nation, for the most part, it feels like sometimes that they, they bought into a lie that they're almost good without God until, until something bad maybe happens, you know? And it seems like they're, they feel they're just trying to do life almost without God. And it's funny, and I think about my own generation, the millennial generation, which I feel I can speak to because I'm a millennial, and I, I listen, and I, and I, they, I, they, tr- they kind of like we, uh, we, we think we are thinking so clearly as millennials that we're, we're thinking clearer than any other generation that's ever thought. You know, we, we come up with these phrases that we think we created, but really they're just phrases that have always been there, like do whatever your heart desires, or you know, we can just follow your heart, or. No one can judge me, or is my life, just leave me alone. Like it, it, we come up with these things, and we think, as the millennials, we think we're doing something right. We finally have figured out what true love is. Just, just do whatever your heart desires, which we can just look at a middle school girl and realize, right, that doing whatever our heart desires, falling after our crush, isn't always the best idea. It's, our heart is just deceitful, Right? And, and, and so we could, we could follow those examples of the world, and a lot of times we do. We've, those phrases have been around. The, those thoughts, those, those ideas have been there. They exist, but they're not true love. Our love that the, the world has isn't self-sacrificial. It's, it's you do something for me, and I'll do something for you. I, what can I get in return for my niceness to you? But I think we got to think clearer than what the world is. But when we, as the church, when we give in, this is what happens. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, For some men strained from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. And some of these guys, that they heard truth. They, they were a part. They, they were in the church of Ephesus. They had heard truth. But they strayed away. They bought the truth. They, they sold, they exchanged the truth for a lie, and, and they turned aside to just meaningless conversations. They were once, they saw fruit, but now they are just living with fruitlessness. They're living with no purpose. And, and, and verse 7, they wanted to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or matters about which they make confident assertions. They're making bold statements, confident statements. 
You know, that's what, that's what you see all over in, in our generations. I see that in student ministry. That these, our students have these bold statements of what they believe is right. But these things that they're just saying is they're just, I don't even have a clue what they're really talking about. And we can, we can get in that way, right? We can, we can start all of a sudden making these bold statements that we're really not really fully understanding. And even before we even have studied in God's word, we start making bold statements like, no, that's not how God would be or that's not what God is. No, the goal of Christianity is love. And so we should love, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't say that that's sin. And so we, before we... We just, all of a sudden, we catch ourselves going down on this rabbit trail, and, and it keeps going, and keeps going. See, the church in Ephesus, they turned to fruitless conversations. They bought into the lie. And, it, and it's because if we all have these areas in our life that are like the blind spots. In fact, earlier this week, I was driving through town, and... Um, and I, I, I don't know whether or not I wasn't thinking clearly enough or if I just didn't look over my shoulder good enough, but I, I decided to switch lanes. And um, I start, you know, I put all my turns in, I did everything legal, besides I'd missed the car that was like right there. <laughs> just missed it. And, and I didn't get in an accident. It was just one of those awkward moments where you start going over and then they start honking and then you jerk back in your car and you're just like, Oh, no. And then you see the red light coming up, and you're thinking, try and time this out so you don't have to meet with them. We know. We, but, and then it's, and so we're there. We're like, she's right there, this lady. And I'm just like trying to not look. And I'm just like, I'm wrong. I messed up. But by the way, ma'am, if you are here, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, hope you had a better day. Um, we all make those mistakes. And we all, we all get that. But God's plan for the church is that we would remain in one lane. We're not, we're not varying. We're remaining true to his word. This is where we find truth. This is where we come to it for truth. We're not going to the culture or our world for what they think is true. We come to here first. And, and then when it comes to topics like sex before marriage or homosexuality, we're not, we're not, we're not diving around them or switching lanes just to not offend someone. We're not, we're not going to just jerk our car into the next lane just so that, just that someone can feel a little bit more comfortable. Because all of a sudden, as a church, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing as love. Because tr- telling the truth of that, that there is sin, that they're living in sin, is actually love. Like I had a conversation with students uh, the other, other week, it was like about hell. And they're saying, well, love, we should love. We, we need to love people. But why do we need to tell them about hell? And then I'm like, well, if I don't say there's a place that they're going to go, we don't honestly talk about that and say there's a place that if, we, that if they never come to know Jesus, this is the reality it's just us turning our car into the next lane, and we could be missing. We're missing. We're not can be. We are. We're missing the blind spot, the danger of just going and not thinking clearly or not looking good enough. And as soon as we start loosening up our teaching, and we start taking portions out of God's word that we just want to not talk about just because it's easier, 
As soon as we start doing that, we're, we're going to find ourselves no longer teaching the true gospel, teaching something that is fruitless. We're going to find ourselves just talking about nothing. God's plan for us is that we remain faithful to his word no matter what our culture is saying, what it's doing. That we, we love our world unlike anything they've ever seen, but it comes from our pure heart, having this right desire. It comes from our good conscience, doing what is right. And it comes from a sincere faith that we are committed to the right. We are committed to his word. We want to honor God with our life. God's plan for us is that we remain committed. We can remain committed to truth. And I believe most of us in this room, we want to be fully committed committed followers of Jesus, then don't allow the culture to sway you. Don't allow the culture to move you. Because our emotions, our feelings, they come and go. They change all the time. But God's word has to be true. Has to be where we go for truth. And it causes, when we do that, when we fully stay committed to his word and his truth, true love pours out. And this love that Paul is referring to is going beyond ourselves. It's God's plan for the church that we're different than the world, that we don't look like the world, that we are different than the world because we're going as the church beyond ourselves. And just like Jesus would leave the 99 to find the one, the church, God's plan for us is that we would seek the lost. And we would do that with this love. We would do that and we would pursue them with this love that is driven from truth because it's changed our heart. And we have this good conscience that we want to do what is right and we have a sincere faith that we are committed to him no matter what. And we're in that consistency that the world is lacking it. And the way we further know how to do this in verse 8, it goes on, it says, But we know the law is, is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinners, and for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for the murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. The law, it wasn't made for those who think they're righteous or they're good. The law, the purpose of the law was to show us our sin and that we need a Savior. The law, it was morally right and it's good, but the law alone, it's not good news for anyone. But it, it forces us to recognize the bad news that we have all violated God's standards. And we deserve hell. But here's the good news. In verse 11, he, Paul uses the line, glorious gospel, and, and which I like. I, I love that phrase because you hear it all the time as good news or just the gospel. But Paul says, the glorious gospel. The, the gospel is, is the fact that Jesus came and died even though we, we deserved hell. He died for you and for me. So that if we would come to him, trusting in him, Coming to him in repentance, realizing that we have violated his standards, realizing what he has done for us. He comes into our life and our, our destiny that was hell is changed no longer to hell but to heaven. 
And it's the glorious gospel because Paul says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God for which I have been entrusted. Paul was entrusted with the glorious gospel. And Paul handed that, the glorious gospel down to Timothy. And Timothy was told by Paul to entrust that, the glorious gospel down to other men in, in the church of Ephesus. And then we're here today and we have been trusted with the glorious gospel. You and I, we have been entrusted with the glorious gospel. It's our job to keep it safe. It's our responsibility. And when we remain faithful to it, and we, we, from that, it will stem love. And ultimately, we want to honor God because he paid for it. He paid for our life. And we want a pure heart because our heart that was once contaminated by sin has now been cleansed through the glorious gospel. We want a, we want a good conscience because we are now made white as snow. We don't want to dirty that up. We want a sincere faith because we want to remain committed to truth. Like Paul says in Philippians 3.8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul's telling us that he counts Jesus, compared to everything in his life, he's considering his relationship with Jesus more important than everything. He's looking to, to Jesus as his hope, as everything to him. And he just wants to experience him more. And that in mind, with all the confusion in the world, the church, we, Jesus, has given us this entrusted, he's entrusted us with a glorious gospel. It's our job to keep it, keep it true and keep be faithful to it. We, and it's our job to reduce the confusion that exists in the world by staying consistent in his word, finding his truth in it. But in being trusted with the glorious gospel, something that's so precious, and I can't wait, I keep thinking about September. September is just, it's coming. And I cannot wait to be able to hold my daughter and look at her and just realize how precious she is. And I can't wait for that. And I can't wait because it's, then it's, it turns into my responsibility, right, to love her, keep her safe, protect her. Change my, it's my job to point her in a, the direction she's supposed to go with her life. It's my job. And I, and I can't wait just to look at her and, and just be almost in amazement. Like I've seen my siblings do with their kids. I can't wait for that. But the glorious gospel, the, the, the thing we have been entrusted with, the glorious gospel, it's so precious. We have the responsibility to remain faithful to it and keep it sound, not moving from away from it just because our culture doesn't like what his word says. You know, when, when we stay faithful to it, when we stay, remain faithful to it, when this entrustment of the glorious gospel, in fact, in the glorious gospel, just like when I hold my daughter and I can't wait for that, I, I want to tell the world about how much she means to me. Like, I, I was always the guy, the kid growing up saying, I, if, I, if, and especially now, I was like, I'm never going to use my 
daughter or son. I'm never going to use them as a sermon illustration, but now I'm just finding myself talking about Jada a lot. Um, and, and, and the reason is I, I want everybody to know. I want everybody to know how much she'll mean to me. But the gospel, that's something that should mean so much to us because it's glorious. We shouldn't just hold it to ourselves. We have to tell the world about it. We need to show them, but we need to keep it sound at the same point in time. And we need to then go and love our world like it's never been loved before. We need to love Fremont like it's never been loved before. We need to go and pursue our community with the gospel like it's never been pursued before. This is what God has given us. This is God's plan for the church that he has entrusted you and I with the glorious gospel that we would not just sit in church and, and be amazed by it, that it would, the amazement of it would take us out of here and go and love other people, not with this love that is like the world's, but a love that is self-denial, self-sacrifice. And we love Fremont in a way that's never been loved before. We love Northwood in a way it would never have been loved before. And we love Tiffin in 2019 like it's never been loved before. And the only way the church, Grace Community Church, the only way we do that is if it, you and I individually, we are fully committed to God's plan. It would only happen when we are fully committed to it. So let's go and love our community in a way it's never been loved before. That's the plan. That's the blueprint. It starts there. It starts with being faithful to his word, no matter what our society might say. And that's when we'll do, and we'll see as a church, his plan to unfold. If you guys would, stand with me and let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I just thank you for the ability just to be here, just to come and worship you. Lord, I thank you for the ability that we get to be reminded about the glorious gospel. And Lord, we pray that this week and this year as Tiffin, when we look forward to Tiffin, that we as a church, we will buy into your plan, your blueprint that you've left us, that we will be unlike anything else this world has ever seen, that we will love the world unlike anything they have ever seen. With a real, true love that stems from your word, Lord. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen.